0: Did you anybody to take that ticket off your hand for the game? I wish I could have gone honestly.
1: Oh, yeah. What about my dad? A ticket to what game? Oh, a, a twin ticket for last night. Oh. Would have been a long flight for a Orlando. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 122 of the iFreaks show. This week on our panel, we have Alondo Brewington. Hello, from North Carolina. James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Apple event that happened on, what, September 9th? So we're a few weeks behind. A lot of people have been talking about it. But yeah, we thought we would just kind of dig in and see what there was to talk about. Where do you guys want to start? Do you want to start with the iPhones, with the Apple TV,
0: the iPad Pro? We can always knock out the really quick thing, which is the Hermes wrist watch straps. (laughs) I don't know how how much interest there is there. I actually had not heard of that style of, when I saw it, my first reaction was, why would anyone wear that sort of uh, watch strap, although, I mean, as nice as it is in leather, and then I was told a couple of, on a couple of occasions that, oh, yeah, that is very in fashion, that's, you know, people yeah. are, really like it, and and uh, it, it'll probably sell fairly well, so.
2: Well, I thought it was interesting, like, yeah, the Hermes, I think that's how you say it, but yeah, I'd only ever heard of them with, like, the high-end, super-nice scarves for, the, for women, and yes. so I was like, oh, are they going to come out with an Apple scarf?
0: But
1: <laughs> that, that would be uh, It's coming. Just wait to,
0: to see the Johnny Ive video announcing the scarf. Chuck just made the call.
1: That's the right. Beginning. Yeah. Next dub dub <laughs> Apple scarf.
2: <laughs> I had a conversation with Jonathan Stark on the freelancer show. In fact, it's actually going to be in the Q&A, you know, because we do a Q&A every month. And, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how we got on the topic. I think we were talking about pebble time, but, uh, yeah, we were talking about the, the watches and stuff. And yeah, he, he basically pointed out that, yeah, he has some beefs with the Apple watch. And one of them was that why are you going to wear this super expensive watch when you're just out and about and a super expensive watch with a super expensive band on it? You know, it just makes a whole lot less sense because you, you know, you don't want to ruin it. You don't want to get it dirty. You don't want to get it. You know, whatever. And so I th- I thought that was an interesting take on things. But
1: Interesting take for, for most of us. But I think if you're dropping ten grand on a watch, you're not yeah. that worried about getting messed up. I mean, I take my Apple Watch off and I mow the lawn. But otherwise, I'm wearing it out. Yeah.
0: That's interesting you say that because I've been doing a lot of renovation on my house. And I've been painting and doing all kinds of things. And I don't take the watch off. I haven't really been concerned about it. It's been knocked around a little bit, but it's pretty sturdy. I don't even have any scratches on it. I've been pretty impressed with it.
2: Yeah, I wound up getting Pebble Time, and yeah, the the thing he, he said, you may have made the best choice. You may not have. It depends on what you want, but um, it doesn't do the voice recognition, so I can't talk to Siri. I can't talk to Google on my watch like you can with the Apple or Android watches, but the battery life is phenomenal. I mean, I plugged this in last Thursday or last Friday, and yeah, I'm probably like 40% battery just because it's uh, e-ink instead of you know LED whatever. And the backlit portion of it only turns on at night after sunset and if I move my watch. Otherwise, yeah, it doesn't really drain the battery much. And I get all the other benefits we talked about with uh, Neil Ford.
0: You have to say with the release of uh, WatchOS 2, which I was able to install, uh, I think, two days ago, um, I'm really liking the enhancements. I haven't had an issue with battery life. I typically only have to remember to plug it in every other day. And I just have to say for a device that I didn't even think I would use much at all, Um, I find myself missing it when I don't wear it. Mm
2: -hmm. So what are the highlights for Apple Watch or Watch OS 2? And what does it mean for developers like us?
0: I think the biggest thing is just the fact that now you're able to uh, provide functionality that doesn't have to depend so much on the phone. So the lag times that people have been experiencing with different apps in just that sort of, you, you're a bit freer now with the watch. And I think that's going a long way. I've noticed it already. I'm still waiting for many of the apps to actually get their updates out. I know Apple's been pushing a bunch of them fairly quickly. And I've just had a chance to sample a few. But so far, I really have liked the performance. Um, I love the new interfaces. You can now, there's a watch face now where you can actually have your uh, link to your photo album. So it'll randomly p- pick a photo from your from your photo album that you select. And it's pretty nice. Uh, A few more faces. The complications look great. And it's just been an all around. I think this is the what some people would probably argue is what should have been the first release of the Apple Watch.
2: Yeah, I've heard several people say that. But I don't know that to the point that uh, Neil made when we talked to him, I don't know that they really understood what the watch was going to mean to people until they actually put it out there. So.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, when it, when it was first announced, my first thought was, "Why are they doing this?" <laughs> I mean, I know that there was a long, you know, long rumors about a uh, watch being in the works, and then I initially said, "Well, I'll just use it for fitness." But I'm finding more and more that it's really, really nice to get that ambient information. And, and, and it's super convenient for a lot of times. And I'm looking forward to adding, uh, I did a participant in a hackathon a few weeks ago where we actually wrote an app for the watch that provided the ability to do some integrations with uh, training programs or sports. And it's really neat. And it sort of kind of opened the door for the types of things that we could do on the watch that where we, we don't necessarily need the phone and have to carry it around. And people could get additional uh, benefit from it.
2: So besides the complications, I think that's what they call them. Um, you know, whereas it's kind of the extra information that you can put onto your watch faces and things and, uh, the new watch faces. I mean, are there any major things that, that you can do with the uh, watchOS
0: OS And that actually, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of any additional major
1: features.
2: It, it sounded yeah, like uh-huh. it might be a little bit more battery friendly or maybe a little bit more
1: performant, but that was. I think performance has improved. It seems to be working better. Things are loading a little faster. But I'm definitely using watchOS 2 in classic mode. I really have not dug into the new functionality that much. You know, if I do my time travel by moving forward, I don't really have any complications set up, so it's just going forward in time, not giving me anything useful. Mm -hmm. But that's how I'm using it. So I'm not the best resource for this. Yeah, but
2: it was definitely interesting. It was like, oh, okay. They've kind of figured out what people are looking for.
0: Okay, it's definitely a good step forward.
2: Anything else we should talk about on WatchOS 2 before we move on to something
1: else? Development is hard. Yes, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Yeah. So unless you have lots of time and budgets, be wary. People are having a lot of troubles with it right now. Yeah. That's just how it goes.
0: Yeah, and I would say, I, I mean, I would add, you definitely need to think about what you, what sort of subset of functionality you want to make available from your, if you have an existing app to make sure that it makes sense. I mean, I know it's kind of harkening back to the conversation we had with Neil, but it, it really does need to make sense. Um, not all use cases are going to benefit being on the watch. It's important to really give it a thought, think through the, the user interface and the user experience and the type of information you can convey and making sure you can get it there quickly, because that's that's really all there. It's, it's really made for sort of really short iterations of, of consuming data or interaction with data.
1: Definitely, no, that's definitely the approach Your app probably doesn't need a watch, and a lot of the apps that are out there are just writing apps to play well with Apple's ecosystem. Because if you do things their way, they make things easier on you. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the apps, there's really no reason to have a watch app here. But people are just putting them out there, and but a lot of it's experimenting too, because we don't really know. Like it's easy to say, like you know, the real simple things are where you want to be at, and I agree with that. But there's more use cases that we're not thinking yet. So it'll be cool to see what develops down the road.
2: One feature yeah. that I know exists on Apple Watch that it looks like they kind of brought into iOS was the Force Touch. They called it 3D Touch on the phone. Is it the same thing, or is it not the same thing?
0: I believe it's similar. I'm actually struggling with that with the newest uh, MacBook Air. There's a, a bit of a there's a similar the Force Touch or 3D Touch. I think it's called Force Touch on the on the Mac as well. And it, it's definitely a learn. There's a learning curve to that. We are looking forward to having that available, though, in iOS just because it's going to provide an opportunity for us to engage the user in a couple of different ways as far as menus and, and their ability to not clutter up screen with menu options but still provide an extra layer of functionality that's right there that's just a touch away.
2: Yeah, I have to say that the idea of the 3D Touch is something that I'm kind of excited about. I honestly haven't tried to do it on my I, – I have an iPhone 6 Plus, and I don't know if it will do that or if you have to have the 6S.
0: Or 6s plus to do that. I believe it's only available in the in the uh, 6s and the 6s plus.
2: That was the impression I got from the event. I was kind of hoping.
1: <laughs> no, I haven't got my hands on a the 6s yet, so we're still waiting to see how how it's going to work out. But you know, I, I agree, it's a definitely a new paradigm, and it'll be interesting to see what comes from it.
0: Yeah, one thing that I did notice, too, in watching the event that I really liked, in in particular when they were demoing the uh, 3D Touch, was that a lot of the UI really looked fleshed out, like they were finally getting around to sort of realizing the vision of iOS 7 with all the changes that they were making for so long. That UI looked sort of incomplete. I mean, I know there was a lot of hemming and haw when it first came out, but even, even as late as 8, it, it still looked sort of undone. It's like... You know, we're talking about affordances and these types of things, but I couldn't really uh, see Apple's vision for it until this last event. And it really looks like, OK, it's, it's realized now there's some depth to it, you know, part in the reference to the actual affordances and depth and things like that. But it makes sense. And that's where I think that Force touch really sort of uh, shines when you're when you're watching it, when they're demoing.
2: Yeah, I still feel like so. My first smartphone, I have to say, was an Android phone. And there are definitely things I like about iOS better than Android. But I have to say that like their home screen on Android devices, it does give you a few options that I wish you had on iPhones. Um, the iPhone's home screens are basically just a grid of icons. And I, I keep hoping that they're going to, you know, enhance that in some other ways to give you better options. But the 3D Touch is definitely a step in that direction where it's like, hey, you want to kind of get a glimpse of what's going on in this app? Well, here you go.
1: Definitely. And it also has the added benefit of all those supporting older apps that okay, now we have to add all this to new functionality just to keep it feeling modern because once people start doing it, they get addicted to it and they expect it to be there. So it's pushing the paradigm forward.
2: Is there a backwards compatibility issue here where if you build three D touch into your app, you know, where you maybe you, you know, three D touch something in a game or in an app? In a table view and it gives you a peek into what's inside and that becomes a critical piece of the way that you interact with it. But at the same time, you know, you have people still on iPhone 5, iPhone 6, iPhone, you know, 6 plus that don't have that feature. Do you feel like, you know, you have to kind of maintain usability across multiple systems? It seems like people kind of abandon the older systems at at some point. And I'm worried a little bit that people who are on iPhone 5, 5s and 6 are going to kind of get left behind because this feature isn't available.
0: Yeah, I would I would definitely say that if you're doing apps at this stage, you probably should you, – you really would do well to look at maybe using the 3D touch as a way to enhance the experience but not – you know, provide Sort of the way that we often provide multiple ways, there are certain gestures. We've had this with gestures where, you know, you can go through menus and get to functionality, but you can also provide gestures. And those gestures are not always discoverable. So by and large, I mean, in effect, they're not necessarily available if the users don't know about them. So we can take the same approach with the 3D Touch and make, you know, the enhanced functionality or alternate ways to accomplish tasks in the app but not leave people out. Give them an alternate way, even if it's, you know, requires a few more tabs, to get to the menu item a little deeper in some hierarchy to do the same thing. So they're not necessarily left behind, but they just don't get that same sort of efficient interaction.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think at this point the force touch is just you know adding on some syntactic sugar to the the UI experience that's not irreplaceable. You know, we can get people to info faster the way they want to, but not necessarily, you know, giving us something they can't do. Or if you just want to force people to update your, your app to, if you want to sell phones for Apple, you know, can't use this feature until you have a success.
0: This is true. We, uh, You know, the dropping of the, the prior supported OS is also, you know, one of those things that we're continually having to do. Uh, we're looking now, We've we've stopped support for iOS 7, And depending on the adoption rate, which seems to be moving pretty quickly, um, there may be a dropping of of eight in the near future as well.
1: Yeah, I have an old uh,
2: iPod 2. And yeah, you know, you can't hardly get apps for it anymore because of the way that that's moved along. But on super old devices, that's definitely a concern. I think most people, though, have newer devices and just, you know, update and get all the stuff.
1: Yeah, I still got my first iPhone four and it's become basically useless even as a testing device because nothing I want to run to test is, will run on it. I can't run iOS Hate, so yeah. kind of out of luck.
2: So one other thing I saw, and I'm I don't know that we'll spend a ton of time on live photos, but are those things that you can actually incorporate into your apps? Set it as a background or something? Or do we know yet?
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure about the live photos. This is one of those things, those features that I saw and just did not really connect with a use case. I was like, okay, it looks a neat neat thing that I wouldn't see necessarily getting a lot of value out of in the long term. It's almost like a novelty. And I hate to say that, but I didn't see a really profound use case there.
1: It's like, hey, here's our proprietary GIF. <laughs> yeah, basically. <Yes. laughs> see how much cooler it is than the regular old GIF or GIF or whatever you want to call it? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and then also just the feature of having the where you can talk to Siri without having your phone plugged in. I thought that, that
1: I like.
0: It. Yeah, I find that you know, there's a lot of situations I forget. You know, I was always constantly going, "Oh, I forgot my phone's not plugged in," and not having to do, to worry about that is nice. And Siri has gotten so much better as well. So I'm finding myself using it a lot more. As so early in the early stages of Siri, I didn't have a lot of success, and so I just decided, "Okay, I'll only use it for directions." But now I'm finding you know, using it a lot more often even to, to answer sports trivia questions when I'm getting an argument with 10-year-olds about basketball. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice, 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 nice. So are there other features of iOS 9 or iPhone 6S that you're excited to develop for? I mean, I didn't see that the nicer camera or anything else really will make a huge difference for developers. No, I
0: just saw all those things as sort of like just part of the progression, what yeah. you would expect in an S version yep. of the phone.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see how the multitasking works as far as like developing and making sure it works on older devices because, you know, if you develop for an iPad, you're not that worried about memory constraints or CPU constraints for mm-hmm. most apps. But all of a sudden now you might have some other memory hog app going alongside with your app. So it'll be interesting to see how our development practices have to tighten up where a lot of times we don't have to think about performance. I mean I've had apps where I had to do a lot of thinking about performance, but for the most part, you just throw stuff on a screen and go and but it'll be interesting to see how performance-centric our development has to be.
0: That's a good point, because the new phone has got that bump up in RAM. And so it could be easy if you're, like most developers, you've got the latest and greatest in your hand. But you still got to make sure you're testing on those other supported devices that are a bit older, and performance becomes a factor. i got to say, though, my biggest gripe more than anything else, and it's not a point of excitement, is just the fact that I, still, I do not understand why the low-end device is 16 gigs of storage. It just boggles my mind.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't even think that'd be enough for my grandma, (laughs) you know, who who isn't going to install a whole lot, you know. My wife had the 16 gig iPhone 5, and she was constantly running out of space. And I got the 32 gig, and I would bump up against my boundary every so often. It just didn't make sense to me to have anything less than 64.
0: Yeah, it's a weird jump, too, from 16 to 64, and then uh, the 128, it's like, I, I don't understand
1: yeah, I've got the 64 bit device, and even I had to go through and delete a bunch of photos. You know, after three or four years, you build up quite a few that you don't really need. But I, yeah, I had to go through and clear a lot of stuff out. So unless there's people that don't use the phone or don't use photos and don't do any videos, you know, don't store anything.
0: Yeah. Or it's a ploy to get people to buy the low-end phone and then get them to up their to increase their their iCloud storage.
1: You know who's going to wind up with
2: these 16 gig phones, right? It's going to be the people who are buying phones for other people. <laughs>
1: true you know so so
2: corporate people or you know
0: people buying for their kids or yeah well that's true a lot of kids will probably get that 16 gig phone yeah
2: and yeah the multitasking on the ipad is going to be nice i was kind of hoping that i'd get it on the the iphone 6 plus but nope it's just the ipads and even then it's it's only on specific models like the ipad mini 4 i think and then i don't remember for the rest of the ipads existing ipad variations yeah the mini
0: four will probably be my next iPad purchase. I'm working on a, the first generation mini, and I really do like that size and it's a nice jump from the my six you know, I don't have a six plus so I think that's just a too large of a phone for myself, but um we've been having discussions with some of the other devs I know and just trying to get that the right mix of personal devices to carry around, uh which leads me to the the big announcement, uh which is the iPad pro, and uh whether or not anyone was going to get one. It served any purpose for them. I don't know. Are you guys planning on getting one? Um, I'm not getting one, but I know another dev who is. So they're getting the 6 Plus and the iPad Pro. I did like a lot of the, it's a large device. I can see a lot of, uh, a particular type of user. I think the only thing I lament is just the fact that that Pencil not available for the new, smaller iPads and it's Pro only because I really was yeah. excited about it. so.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I watched it, and it was funny because they got done talking about the iPad Pro, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't need one of those. <laughs> and, and really what it came down to for me is, okay, well, what do I spend? Because the iPad Pro, it, it feels like it's, okay, we're going to give you exactly what you need to not have to carry around a laptop anymore. Yes. And looking at that, I'm like, okay, so what do I use my laptop for, and what do I use my iPad for? And, you know, I watch shows on my iPad and, you know, I've got apps for some of the other things that I have to interact with online. So it's just kind of a surrogate that's got a native interface for whatever website I want to use or interact with. And then the other thing I do on my laptop is code. And there was no indication whatsoever that I'm going to be able to do that on the iPad Pro. And so it was kind of like, "Eh, well, you know, 50% or more of what I'm doing, I can't do on the iPad Pro anyway. And so it just didn't seem like a slam dunk to me. There were definitely features that I liked about it. For example, the full-size keyboard on the screen. I thought that was awesome. And then just more resolution, more features. Uh, the pencil was cool, but I don't do a lot of drawing or anything like that. So even that wasn't that impressive for me. So yeah, it's it's not on my radar until I see somebody using it in a way that I'm going, okay, I, I got to be able to do that.
0: Well, I think it speaks to something that I've been thinking a lot about in in light of uh, some of my more recent uh, conversations and conferences that I've been going to, talking about sort of the App Store and, and the ability to have success in the App Store and the place of the iPad. And for all of the demos that were shown, they're really niche applications that are written for the iPad that provide an immersive experience I think is, mm-hmm. uh, that are the most sort of effective ones the successful ones um, this idea that you're just going to write your iPhone app and then have like an iPad app that does sort of similar things I don't think it flies I think that there's a targeted audience for that iPad pro and I think there's a targeted audience for iPad software in general that you know that the Apple sees and I think that if as a developer that that's really where you have to sort of focus on if you want to go into those arenas. I don't think it's the same type of scenario as with the with the phone where you, you know, there's this there's this huge breadth of types of apps that you can make for the phone. I just don't think that's the case for the iPad and the iPad Pro even less so.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm just saying I'm not a consumer that's going to buy an Apple or an iPad Pro cuz I want one. If I'm buying one, it's because I'm writing one of those niche apps and I actually want to nail it for the iPad Pro. And I anticipate that when I do nail it, it's going to pay for itself.
0: Yeah, I am wondering, though, to your point about being able to code, how much longer do we have to wait to rebuild that we can just fire up and write, at least, you know, Swift <laughs> at this point. And in some other, you know, I'm sure there's other languages as well, on the iPad. Because I think that would be a great experience to be able to take something as light as an iPad onto the train or, or oh, yeah. you know.
2: Oh, yeah. And and why
0: not, right? Yeah. I, I don't know what the holdup is at this point, like what the real you know, reason that we can't do that at this point.
2: Well, the other thing Mm -hmm. is, is that if you're writing an app for the iPad, then, you know, your simulator is the device you're writing it on. You just load up your app and I think you can tell it, okay, well, I actually want this to run on an iPhone. And so, you know, it should be intelligent enough to limit the memory and stuff to meet the constraints. You know, maybe you can't quite simulate the processor, but you say, look, you can't go over this much memory and we're just going to show it in this corner of the screen.
0: Yeah, it, just truly, it would truly be constrained. I mean, you get a real yeah. a real world constraint there. you are trying to test for a smaller device. Yeah,
2: but yeah, I, I, I don't see where that makes a big difference. Now, for a lot of my web development, I actually have a machine in the cloud that I do development on so if it had an ssh program on it and there are ssh apps for the ipad because i've used them i know they're out there you know i could see that as possibly being a reasonable development environment but then you know a
1: laptop does that just as well in the terminals built in yeah we look at the the smaller macbook air how much bigger is that than the ipad
0: Yeah, and that's, I think, the decision point, which was kind of weird. It's just like, what's the differentiator for a user to decide that, you know, the iPad Pro is going to be the choice that they make versus getting that air?
1: Yeah, I think it uh, comes down to kind of the niche markets you're in. I think iPad Pro, the obvious niche they see it becoming important in is graphic design. There's a lot of focus put on that and creating things and be able to see things on a big screen. Can I think of very many other ones that an iPad Pro is a clean win for. I'm not sure maybe you know sales apps you know, a lot of companies have sales teams like they sit on everywhere and they've got all their stuff on their ipads so having a, a bigger screen can help you know bring it along with you put it on the desk of whoever you're trying to sell to and show what you want to show so that might be another thing but I, i'm not sure exactly who needs to use the ipad pro yeah,
0: yeah i could see that that same case though i see a lot of sort of like out here in the street, a lot of sort of workers in construction and things like that. And of course, as long as you've got the right protection, they do have lo- these larger clipboards for like inspections and and these types of things where, I mean, the iPad does suffice, but I noticed that they do a lot with what looks like paper that's a bit longer, like legal size or something mm-hmm. like that, where maybe the iPad Pro screen would be a lot more effective. And with the addition of the pencil, um, being able to have that right there, be able to complete forms and and do the types of field updates that they need to do.
2: Yeah, the other thing I can see, I mean, basically, the reason they're doing graphic design is because that can become very computationally heavy. And Mm -hmm. the iPad Pro has, it's just a beefier machine. And so I can also see, you know, if you have large data sets that you need to crunch a bunch of numbers on and build a report on, or, you know, some of the other, the video editing, you know, they showed that on there. And I could see that, you know, where it can render I think they said four videos at a time or something. I don't remember. You know, so those kinds of things where, you know, you kind of need the power of a laptop or something. This gets you there. And so I, you know, a lot of those types of applications make sense too on the consumer apps. So do you think you're going to wind up developing differently for the iPad Pro or is it only in those cases where you're actually going to be doing something specialized either because you want the pencil to be able to be used on it or because you know that you have more resources to kind of make it extra awesome.
1: I think if you're outside of kind of particular niches that really utilize the form factor, I think that's just another thing you have to check to make sure your auto layout's not awry. Yeah. For most of our apps, we just have to make sure it, it behaves reasonably. You know, they might have an iPad Pro, we want our iPad app to work as expected, but yeah for the most part, I don't see targeting that. At least for, you know, the most apps that I'm working on. Right.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think unless you're you're getting a specific case for like a client or you have a particular app in mind that you're developing, I don't see that at this stage. That could change though, depending on the popularity of the device.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see like what comes of it. What things aren't, are we completely not thinking of? Are we completely missing that are a perfect match for this new device? Yeah, I'm waiting for that forehead smacking moment when that happens and I go, Oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course, it's obvious in hindsight. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I'm just
2: trying to think of why else you would want one of these devices and I'm kind of coming up short. So I mean unless you have some specialized application, like you said, that has an app that's designed specifically for the iPad Pro that gives you the experience you want. Yeah, I just I think it's
1: medical. Something. If you're if you have medical information, a doctor looking at X-rays. Oh, yeah, and they had that example, too, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: There were some great demos. Even there was a watch demo around that as well. Medical is really one of those forward-thinking, forward-acting industries where they've been adopting the use of these devices for a while, and there were some pretty impressive demos there.
2: Yeah, so I guess that's true, too, if there's some pretty intense graphical interaction
0: that you have. Yeah, another 25 years, maybe lawyers will catch up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you fax to the iPad Pro? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. You just put the I...
2: you put your iPad Pro in the tray, and then you tell people to send it, and it just <laughs> feeds it right through. That'd I hope that created the mental image that makes people I, laugh. <laughs>
1: I, I, could, I could imagine myself doing that. Some things you just to fax. I'm thinking about redoing my our mortgage, and like you had to fax stuff. I'm like, really?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Here is this. I, I have clients. Can you fax me back a copy
2: of the contract? I'm like, um, no. Email? Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. I can scan it and email it it to you. Yeah. I experienced that with Apple, and I was getting my uh, setting up a business for a business account for the uh, a developer business account, and they asked me to fax information, and I just I just paused for a second. I'm like, I'm on the phone with Apple. They're asking me to fax something. This is not compute.
2: I remember doing that. Yeah, to get my Apple developer account because I got a corporate account, I or a business account. You know, I didn't just get it for me. And yeah. So I had to fill out all this extra work paperwork for my business and send it in. And yeah, I had to go find some place that could fax it in.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's like when I have to mail a
2: letter. I'm like, I don't know how to do that right now. Yeah, I think I went to the UPS store. And they just took it in stride. I guess they get that pretty regularly, which is (laughs) kind of sad. All right, should we get to the Apple TV?
0: Oh, yeah. Let's do it.
2: I was watching that, and I was like, I want one of those. It was just... I want one of those. I still want one of those.
0: Yeah. um, (laughs) Without revealing too much, yes. They're exciting. And during the event, uh, when it was announced, I have an older model. And so I was really excited for the improvements and what's available. Um, Even the new remote, even. I I think it's an improvement. I'm not sure quite yet. Even with the game demos. I mean, I know one of the game demos they did was very similar to the Wii. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm uh, wrestling with right now is how to have a single player game experience that's going to, um, mimic, you know, using a, a, a game using it as a game controller and what type of support i will have to put in the app to allow that user to, to make use of that remote, to continue to play it. If it's not a physical sort of, you know, throwing and swiping and mimicking, uh, swinging a tennis racket or something.
2: Yeah. I mean, the other thing I can see is that on most traditional game controllers, the buttons that take you out of the game or you know, back to the main screen or anything. I mean, those are reasonably small buttons, and it's just so that you don't accidentally mash them when you're playing your game. And these, looking at the remote for the new Apple TV, I mean, they're all the same size buttons, and I wonder a little bit if that's going to cause you problems or if they fully expect you to just mostly work off of the little touchpad on there.
0: Um, without revealing too much, <laughs> the touchpad is fairly small. And so it's a situation where... And the buttons are really close together. You can see that in some of the images. So I think that is a a valid concern, having the, you, making sure that the gameplay, I'm not really sure how useful that the, the touch area is going to be for a gaming situation. Um, the thing that got me excited about it though, with, as far as gaming is concerned, was just the ability to do sort of like, Games that are more social where people are are together in the same place and can do something mm-hmm. like a multiplayer uh, game that has more for most more user and user engagement with each other, not necessarily just depending on feedback from the screen.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to see exactly how big it is compared to the little aluminum one that comes with the older models. Um, it looks yeah. like it's a little bit bigger than that. Surface area-wise on the top, you know, I, I haven't been able to see anything really. Because, I mean, the only people who have them are the people who got in on the developer program. And so, you know, I don't see anything from Apple showing one next to the other. But, you know, it looks like it's reasonably larger, but not a ton it is. larger. So
0: It is. It's a little bit larger. It's a, it's a bit wider. Um, the original silver one, I stopped using uh, with the older one. I started using the remote app on my phone. Oh, yeah. Just because having to use the navigation for shows going through the different channels and, and the different software applications that are available on the on the TV just became cumbersome. And the touch uh, gesture interface really works a lot better than um, it felt really dated using it. Particularly in comparison to using every other Apple device that I had. you know, yeah. um, having to just remember the old um, iPod, mm-hmm. sort of the wheel, the wheel click, it, it yeah. sort of had that feel to it.
2: Well, the other thing is is the remote app works over Wi-Fi, and so there's no range issue. I've got the little Apple TV on the back of the TV. It's i got a little clip that just hangs there, and so I have it hanging on the back of the TV in the master bathroom in my house. And, yeah, you have to, like, do this funky crap with the little remote in order to make it work, whereas, you know, if I'm sitting in there, you know, doing something, or if I'm in, in the bath, I just dry my hand off, and then handle my phone for a minute, and it just works, and I don't have to, you know, kind of hold it so that it's pointed sort of under the TV <laughs> to get the right yes. handle on it.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's definitely an improvement. And uh are you looking forward to though? I'm, I'm super excited about the the type of apps that we can develop yeah. there. I'm currently working on a, a game as well as a one uh, another application for work to take advantage of the TV. Uh, I was one of the lucky few that actually got one of the devices. I think I can say I have one. I just don't think I can talk about anything in detail. Right. But it's super, super cool. And I'm looking forward to like what I'm actually looking forward to see what other people develop as well. I think having access to this new device in a way that we haven't before to be able to push content there is going to open up a lot of doors. I know, Charles, you can probably speak to that as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, so, I, I mean, I have this content, you know, network for programmers. And so, you know, I have five podcasts. I have videos that I'm putting out there for developers for Ruby on Rails. Um, I'm looking to expand both of those. You know, I have two new shows starting this month or next month, and I've got a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And it would be really nice to be able to actually get in and be on the Apple TV. And so if people want my content, you know, sure, the Apple TV has always... Been able to pull podcasts and stuff off of your other devices and you can do airplay with them. But it'd be nice if people could just pull it open, check it out, maybe do a little bit of data syncing over iCloud and you know, just pick up where they left off. And so if it's like, Hey, I'm in the mood to sit down and watch a development video or I'm in the mood to turn on a Ruby Rogues episode while I'm doing the dishes or. You know, I I remember that there was an iFreaks episode that talked about something that I needed to cover in this application, you know, that they could pull it up on the Apple TV and or the iPhone or anything else and just have that app there as a resource. The other thing is, is that uh, now that they have the search capabilities in iOS 9, and we talked about that a week or three ago, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay. So now I can drive people to my website through that search. I can have them able to find an episode, you know, just because I have the information in the app. And, you know, they can actually go and search on the Apple TV and it'll pull up, okay, there's this Ruby Rogues episode about whatever or this iFreaks episode about whatever. You know, so if they do a search for Neil Ford, you know, it would show up, you know, in that content system and say, hey, this is available in this app. I mean, all of that stuff, just it really speaks to a complete uh, solution for giving people the experience they want to consume content. And so it's my way of getting a channel on all of those different systems. And I I think that's going to be a game changer here for the way that people produce content, to be honest.
1: It's a definite fit for the content. I mean, I've got an Xbox, which I use some apps, but it's mainly to watch things, Mm -hmm. Netflix or baseball or something or games. And it's, it'll be interesting to see how that expands when people are get used to having their TV and Apple TV. It comes up like, what more can they do with it, or is it just about having something where you're sitting on your couch and don't have your phone near you, you can see on a bigger screen. Yeah. Like, what are the what are the options? What's going to happen? But I think like the immersive experience, like you're on the couch listening to the Ruby Rogues. Oh, I gotta do the dishes, so go to the other room and maybe get your iPad there, or your phone, where you can kind of continue what you're doing. I think that that's the goal. I think. Yeah. That. We're going to get to eventually, but how do we get there?
2: Well, I think it's going to be one bit at a time. You know, the the AirPlay thing, I think, is part of it. You know, how long until you can essentially pull what you're playing on your Apple TV and say, now I want to play it on my iPad and I've got the companion app to it. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that's coming down the road. Or I start watching a YouTube video on the Apple TV and I can pull that to my iPad or my iPhone. Um, you know, and vice versa. You know, I start watching something on my iPad, you know, while I'm kind of walking up the stairs because, you know, I don't want I don't need to pay attention to the toys the kids left on the stairs. But anyway, so I come up the <laughs> stairs and once I get into my bedroom, then I can just kind of pass it to the Apple TV. And the Apple TV says, OK, you're watching it on the Amazon app or the Netflix app. And it just, you know, opens it up, signs in, pulls it up and plays it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think handoff for that, for, for Apple TV can't be far off. And I think it'll make for a great user experience because it, it's definitely a scenario I think a lot of people experience. Uh, I do that quite a bit, actually, where I, I may be listening to a podcast in the kitchen or talk, and then I want to keep watching it uh, when I finally get to the room with the television.
2: One other thing I want to throw up there is just that there's no Amazon Instant Video app on the <laughs> Apple TV, yeah. and I'm wondering yeah. if them opening this up will allow Amazon onto the platform or not.
0: Yeah, it was one of the things that a lot of people, I didn't realize until that, the, to the event, how popular Amazon TV was. And I know Amazon nor Google were, either, were amongst the friends that were invited on stage during the event. So I'm not really sure if that was, uh, uh, it looked like a moment, for a moment though, you know, all of these Adobe and, and Microsoft, I was like, okay, are they sort of settling all these old scores and everything's okay? And I was waiting to see if that would happen, but maybe eventually. Um, I, I don't see a reason why it wouldn't. I can't think of any like real impediments to doing it.
1: Still waiting in review. Just <laughs>
2: <laughs> Now, now I have to point out, I mean, Apple pretty much owns the music space. There are things like Spotify and Pandora out there, but, I mean, if people are buying albums, they're, most of them are buying them on, on iTunes, and then there are people who use the other competitors, like Amazon, to buy or Google, to buy their music. You know, with books, I think Amazon pretty much just owns that, as much as Apple would like to have iBooks be a major player. But they are... Uh, You you can see them fighting really hard to get licensing for these other channels. You know, they've they've gotten some licensing with some of these, but not others. And Amazon is a major competitor there. You know, people either play ball or don't with Netflix, but a lot more people play ball with Amazon. And so I'm wondering if it's a little bit anti-competitive.
0: Well, the the thing about that, too, is you have to make a decision, though. It's like, which is more important? Do you want to cannibalize the potential sales for this Apple TV? Because if I'm a consumer and I happen to just like the Amazon TV for the channels and the things that it offers, but I love the integrated experience of having Apple devices, now I've got to make a choice. And that's a choice that I shouldn't necessarily have to make as a consumer. Yeah,
2: I can say that uh, I do watch uh, videos off of Amazon Instant Video, on my Apple TV through AirPlay. And that, okay. that's how I get around that. The problem is is that a lot of those systems, like Netflix, it'll autoplay the next episode, and it won't do that over AirPlay on my iPad. So if I'm watching something on AirPlay off of my iPad, when the episode gets over, I actually have to go back to my iPad, fire up the next episode, and then do AirPlay again. Living like an animal. <laughs> like the Dark Ages. I know, right? Why should I have to do any more work than I have to? Because picking really? up my iPad and touching it a couple of times is work. That's right. But the next thing All
1: the way, way down there on your lap, you know?
2: Yeah, but the thing is, is it is an interruption to the experience. And I think I think that's kind of the thing to think about there. One other thing that I'm seeing, because I've been kind of Googling around at the same time, is that the new Apple TV will support third-party controllers that fit the MFI, which is made for iPhone iPhone whatever system. So I wouldn't be shocked if you start seeing controllers that, you know, that look like Xbox controllers that work for the Apple TV and then you can have full game experience. And then you just, you control it, you know, to go back to the menus and
0: stuff with the remote. This sounds like more testing. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But yeah, like the other thing that really blew my mind was when they did the search and it was like, I don't remember they looked up some movie or some actor or something and then um, when they tapped on a movie, it showed all of the, so you could watch it on iTunes or Amazon or Hulu or whatever. And I was like, I was like, that is nice.
0: That is a really good feature because that actually happens. One of the things that I, even with the using a remote app on the phone, having to go through that search menu just to find out, hey, if this movie is even available for me to watch on one of these things, and then how I can do it just to be able to have that, you know, at the at a higher level. And convenient, you know, it's just, I actually was really happy. I smiled a bit and clapped, I think, a, a, a little bit when I actually about that. Yeah. Yeah. And the other I
1: can't thing. can't wait till all the Amazon Netflix movies are on Spotlight Search. Who has yeah. this? Do they have it? Oh, no. Yeah. Probably and then the, o-
2: the only other thing that I would want on that is like with Netflix, if you have a membership and they have it, then you you can watch it. But with Amazon Prime, some of them are free for Prime and some of them aren't. And that would be a nice feature, too. So that it's like, hey, you have a Prime account, so I know that it's free here. You know, you could rent it on iTunes. It's free on Amazon. It's available on Netflix. It's available to Hulu Plus. But, yeah, I I don't know that there are any other content systems. Because Hulu Plus is, you you either have a membership or you don't. But, yeah, for Amazon, it'd be nice to know whether it's Prime before I go and try and watch it on Amazon. But there's my wish wish list, Apple, if you're listening. And they always are. I am wondering a little bit, and I, I don't know if there's an answer out there for it, but you know, we have talked about kind of the handoff thing. Are there going to be other ways where you can have your maybe your iPhone app and your Apple TV app interact?
0: Hmm. That actually is a really good question, and I'm hoping that it will be supported because that's actually part of the idea for the game I'm working on, is that if users bring their phones to play, that they can do that, and they can get updates on the phone as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can see putting out like a server on the web or maybe allowing people to install a server on their network, and then it is able to, you know, discover the server and then, you know, talk through some third-party system. But it would be really convenient if it was able to detect other iPhones on the network and then say, oh, yeah, why don't you participate in this way with this app?
1: Yeah, that would be a really cool functionality, especially for like a game where you could have... Mm -hmm. What's happening on the on the TV, and you've got more complex controls in your iOS device. Yes, where you can do yeah. your you know, different things,
0: and that would also get around the ability to support gestures that you can't support in Apple TV right now.
2: Yep. The other thing that occurs to me too is that I mean your your phone has an accelerometer and a camera in it, and so you could conceivably use any and all of those to enhance the experience with the Apple TV for different games. But anyway, hopefully it's not just wishful thinking.
0: Yes, I agree. I hope that it's if it's not available now, and as I continue digging, that it would be available soon.
2: One other thing that I kept hearing about with the Apple TV was, and they didn't bring this up at the event, but people kept talking about how it was it might become a hub for HomeKit. Is mm. is there any indication whatsoever? I know you can't do a review on the unit, but is there any indication that you guys have seen whatsoever that indicates that this might actually be used to control other devices in the home?
0: I'm not seeing a lot as far as products. Uh, I was expecting to, to see a lot more products. Like when I go to uh, like a Lowe's or Home Depot, uh, expecting to see like more proactive advertising that, hey, this is supported by Apple or HomeKit. You can control these devices. Because I'm in the process of trying to automate a lot of these things in the house, you know, and being able to control them all on a single system. And it's just like I'm not finding those products, you know. And this has been what, when was the announcement made? Was that a year? It was over a year ago, right? For HomeKit? Uh, and it, yeah initial the initial home kit was you know yeah it was, I think it was a year
2: or two years ago. I don't remember yeah. which
0: so I don't know what the sort of like the uh, hold up is there as far as like the product adoption or introduction to the marketplace, but you know, I'm not saying it's not there, but it just i would I would have expected a lot more out there, just even as a casual shopper uh, in the stores
2: yeah, a lot of those that I see you know they tout that they work with other third party hubs, but I don't see a lot either with the home kit integration. Most of the reviews that I've heard of any HomeKit-enabled systems are mostly it's toys, right? And so they're they're almost like, oh, yeah, Siri, turn on the, you know, whatever light, and it'll turn it on and off. But, you know, it's it's pretty limited to what, you know, what you can get, which is basically you can get a smart thing that plugs into the wall that your device plugs into, and then it'll turn power on and off to it. And things like Hue lights are the only things that I've really heard about.
0: Yeah, same here. It's pretty much all I've been exposed to at this point.
2: But yeah, lots of interesting stuff going on there. Anything else from that event that you want to talk about? I think that's most of it. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I am going to recommend that maybe we take some time to go play with the tvOS simulators and stuff and development kits in Xcode and then maybe do an episode on that in a month or two here.
0: Yes, and by then hopefully I'll have uh, an app, a fully fleshed out app that I can even recommend to people. Go to the app store and check out.
1: <laughs> Our resident expert.
0: <laughs>
1: Not yet.
2: Well, he has a he has a real toy to play with, so this is true. All right. Yeah, I don't think there's anything left to go over, so let's go ahead and get to some picks. Uh, James, do you want to start us off with picks?
1: Sure, I can start us off with some picks. But anyway, I was going to do the same pick I do every year. It's about that time. Maybe changing the beer season. It's Oktoberfest time, so one of my favorite beers are like the German Oktoberfest, Spaten, Hocker Shores, Polliner. Just a great beer, you know. Not super hoppy. That's all the Americans drink any these days, or the you know quadruple IPAs and all that. But I really enjoy the Oktoberfest. They're probably in any reasonable liquor store at this point. Um,
2: that's my pick. All right. How about you, Alando?
0: Uh, this week I have two picks. Uh, they're both tutorials, but they're geared a little bit differently. I've been uh, I've, I've snagged another one of my younger cousins into learning to develop. So my first pick is a site called uh, Code Combat, which is basically a way to for for people to learn to to code by playing a game. And so it's a, a little more engaging if you're intimidated by code, or it's just a way to keep kids engaged and kind of get them to to uh, want to jump in uh, feet first and uh, start coding. And then my second pick is actually a tutorial for developing for the Apple TV from the Ray Winderlux site. And uh, it's basically a quiz game. And um, it uses TVML, uh, which is one of the ways in which you can develop for the TV. And I highly recommend just checking out some of the other tutorials on the site as well. Um, there's a couple of articles, but uh, it's a good way to get started. Just kind of get an idea of kind of what you can do. So I'll link those as well. And those are my picks.
2: Very cool. Well, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I got the Pebble Time Steel watch, and I just found out that there's actually a development kit for it that's not C. It's JavaScript. Anyway, I, I'm super excited about that, so I'm going to pick Pebble JS. And, you know, I'm also looking to get some people from Pebble onto the show so we can talk about that. And, uh, yeah, I also think we ought to talk about Watch Kit and stuff like that down the line as well. And then I'm also going to pick Basecamp. Um, I've started using it for managing my stuff and it's pretty cool so uh, I'm going to pick Basecamp and uh, yeah those are my picks that's what I've got so we'll wrap up the show uh, thanks for coming fellas and we will awesome. catch you all next week Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group Check them out at bluebox.net Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C A C H E F L Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakshow.com slash
1: form.